My name is Carlos, and, and I'm the lead pastor here at Reality Church, and I want to welcome you. Um, if, this is, if this is your first time uh, at Reality Church, uh, as somebody invited you, maybe you haven't been to church in a long time, maybe you've never been to church, uh, one of the things that we like to say uh, week in and week out is that we want this to be a place where you could explore the claims of Jesus in a judgment-free zone. So wherever you are in your journey of faith, I want you to feel welcome um, here at Reality Church. So here's what I'm going to do um, today. We're going to read, um, and we're going to, if you came on a perfect day, um, because today we're talking about money. Everybody say amen. 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 We're talking about uh, we're talking about money. Here's why I think that's the perfect day, especially if you haven't been to church in a really long time. Because this is one of the reasons why people don't trust the church. Right? Oh, you know, if I talk to one of my friends, who maybe, you know, maybe somebody who doesn't follow Jesus, I'm like, hey, dude, why don't you ever come to church? They're like, dude, I don't know, man. I think, just, I, I think the church just wants my money. You ever heard that? You ever felt that? One person said yes. And I, it was in there. I heard like a hmm. <laughs> I heard a mm, mm, mm. Listen, uh, today uh, we're going to tackle that head on. And I want you to know, like, like, as we explore the claims of Jesus, like one of the things we do here every week is we take a portion of uh, the Bible, of the scripture, and we study it. We explore it. In fact, if you've never read the Bible, if you've never had a Bible, I want to encourage you. Like, we have a free Bible that we'd love to give you at the end of the service where you can download an app, right, on your phone where you could follow along so that if you are exploring Christianity, like, you do it for yourself. Take down some notes, and then you can come on the weekend, and you could see the claims of Jesus. So it gives you an opportunity to explore yourself, what God says in, um, in this book. And our promise to you is that we're going to do our best to expose you to an unvarnished, bold, convictional Christianity. Uh, here's what we believe. We believe that Jesus is the most famous, famous person in human history. Yes? In fact, maybe you don't uh, believe in Jesus, but you have to accept the fact that nobody has affected and impacted history more than he has. And the portion of the Bible that we've been studying is what many people call the Sermon on the Mount. And it is the most famous sermon by the most famous person in human history. And here's what he's doing. Here's what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount. He's calling his followers to live different. He's outlining what it looks like to be a citizen of what he calls the kingdom of God. So we've been in it for the past couple of months. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And what does it look like to live different? He's inviting you and me to be a part of this counter-cultural movement. What does it look like? Okay, by the way, if you want to uh, listen to some of the sermons that we've done before, you can uh, you know, pull out Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, you can listen to that at home. We have that. And I just want to tell you, man, I, I'm so pumped about the season that we're in as a church. In six weeks, we celebrate our one-year anniversary. It's going to be one year. It's going to be one year. Um, I want to invite you to be here. Uh, today, we're talking about money. Next week, we're talking about judging people. Dude, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be really intense. Uh, chapter 7 is like one of the most intense chapters 
uh, that Jesus ever speaks about. So I want to encourage you, bring your friends, family, so they can also help to listen to the words of Jesus and his claims. Anyways, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to take a look at this text. Let's pray. Father, I thank you um, for this reminder this morning and that we're not alone. I pray that for some of us today, that would become um, not only an intellectual truth, but really that we would get a sense of that in our hearts, Lord. Help us, God, as we look at the words of Jesus now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I have met people who are poor and wealthy, and they're both exceedingly generous. I have met people who are poor and wealthy, who are extraordinarily greedy. As you'll see in just a moment, the main point that Jesus is making in his teaching is not primarily about socioeconomic status, but it is about the status of our hearts. Listen to the words of Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Jesus is speaking to this crowd. And he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So, if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Bible is not against us having things, but against things having our hearts. Jesus is teaching primarily, think about this, to a group of people who were poor. Because you don't have to have money to love money. Why is money so important to talk about? Why is this treasure so important to Jesus? It's because our heart matters to God. Your treasure is important because your heart is important. Does that make sense? Your treasure is important because your heart is important. Listen, your treasure has the potential. The love of money has the potential to become the greatest hindrance in following Jesus. So he talks about it in terms of our heart. Money is emotional. <laughs> There's something emotional about money. We like to think that we are intellectual and uh, essentially like uh, not fully engaged with where our money Goes, but the truth is, uh, if you put your money, for instance, in crypto a couple months ago, your heart is not doing too well, is it? We're supposed to be the crypto capital of the world, man. I don't know what happened. Money is 
emotional. And it's so interesting. It matters so much to Jesus that he actually compares it to another God. He doesn't do that with sexuality. As important and as, uh, as, as, as something that affects us so uh, pervasively, he, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do it with lying, even though the devil is called the father of lies. But you know what he has to say about money? He says, Man, you know, you got to watch out for greed. He compares it to a God. It's because greed hides. Greed hides. It's, it's blinding. I love what this pastor, uh, his name is, is Tim Keller. He used to be a pastor in New York City. He's written a lot of best-selling books. And he served in Manhattan, like the epicenter of like wealth making of people driven to go there for money and power and all of these things. And he said this, in all of the 40 years that he pastored that church in Manhattan, nobody ever, not one time, confessed was struggling with greed. <laughs> not one person. Nobody. Nobody. What does that mean for us? It means, that, listen, your heart and my heart and our minds have been so shaped, all right, so shaped by our cultural moment, especially in this area that we really need to ask God what we're depending on. We really do. Like greed is something that's very difficult to see in the mirror, okay? And so what I want us to do today as we look at this text is I want to ask a couple of questions. Like I, I want you to know what it is that you want and why you wanted it and you came to want it in the first place. I want you to ask God to help you explore like, like the desires of your heart, how your imagination has been shaped in such a way that you make the decisions that you make. The love of money, I'm convinced, especially after studying this text this week, that if not the greatest, it's one of the greatest hindrances to following Jesus in our generation. If you're looking to be a disciple of Jesus, if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, then you need to watch out for what he's saying here. It's, it's one of the primary competitors for the people of God. So what does it look like then to live differently? What does it look like to live as a citizen of the kingdom? What's he inviting you into? Look at the text. Don't store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do we do? How are we supposed to deal with money? I want you to write this down. If you're taking down notes, this is very important. How do you, how does it, what does it look like to live different with our money? Number one, you have to develop a heart for eternity. Develop a heart for eternity. Isn't it interesting that Jesus gives us like a rational, intellectual argument for why we shouldn't put our heart, right, our treasure here on this earth, he says, listen, you shouldn't fixate on this accumulation of wealth here on earth because you can't take it with you. You cannot take it with you. You can't even enjoy it fully while you're here. In the first century, in this context where Jesus is saying these words, people normally store goods in a cur or currency in like in a safe place or at their home. So they ran the risk of, you know, wear and tear of depreciation, the items could be destroyed. And so you may look at this passage and you'll be like, well, I don't know if that happens to me. You know what? Because money is really digital and currency looks different. Well, listen, uh, for most people in the United States, I mean, unless you came here and like you had a lot of baggage, like I'm from Venezuela 
And sometimes, like, I don't know what happens in immigration. Like, all of a sudden, you grab a stash of money and, like, I put it under my bed for some reason. I don't know why. I'm like, it's going to be safer there when it's really not, okay? But most of you have banks, okay? And, and, and here's what happens. That's not how we, I'm sorry, guys. I just, I don't know what happened there. Um, um, most of you have banks, and the way that we lose treasure is maybe not, like, moth is not coming in and, like, destroying your currency, okay? Or most of you don't have break-ins in your homes, even though some of you have, may have gone through them. If you have, it's one of the worst feelings in the world. But what we can experience is things like, Inflation, okay? Innovation, right? Where all of a sudden you, you, did you know, I don't know if you knew this, most Fortune 500 companies, okay, they have a lifespan of 30 years. It's momentary. They can't take it with them. Innovation, something changed. If you would have told me, right, 20 years ago that Blockbuster was going to go to business, (laughs) I'd be like, no, some of you are like, Blockbuster, what is that? (laughs) They had a monopoly. <laughs> Did you know that the average family wealth lasts um, just three generations? That's because the newer generations sometimes don't understand the price that those earlier generations made in order to generate that wealth. We cannot control the market. We cannot control what other people do with money. In this context, you know, Pharaohs back in the day, if you've ever watched The Mummy or studied history, then you would know um, <laughs> that... Uh, pharaohs, as long as I can tell from this movie, um, they, they would, I'm a scholar. No, no, no. Um, here's what they would do. Uh, they'd build these great pyramids, these ornate sarcophagus, and they would store all of these items and this treasure and this gold and these jewels with the hopes that they would take those things into the afterlife. They were so obsessed with earning their way here on earth, earning their way into the afterlife, that they would store up all of these treasures. But as you you and I both know, you cannot take it with you. You have to develop a heart for eternity. Jesus says, don't do this. What you can do is you you can actually invest in things that have an eternal significance. You can be generous towards things that have an eternal significance. That's worth your investment. Like nothing's going to happen. You're just going to accrue interest. It's going to last forever. But that's not enough because Jesus actually cares about not only that you give, but actually how you give. Generosity is something extremely powerful, and we want to be a church that's known by our generosity. In fact, the reason we're here as Reality Church is because other people and other churches around the United States actually were generous towards us. So we could, like, rent this theater. So we could buy some of this equipment. It's because of the generosity of people and their investment in the kingdom that we're actually here. Praise God. But... Jesus actually goes deeper than that, and he cares about how you give. Listen, listen, you can give without loving, but it is impossible to love without giving. Look at what he says in earlier in, in chapter 6. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness like your right living in front of other people and be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, this is an expectation for Jesus, giving 
is an expectation. But he says, when you give, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So um, you want to develop a heart for eternity. And Jesus expects you to give, but he cares about the how. Jesus knows that your charity can turn into vanity. Jesus knows that an act of mercy can actually begin to look like an act of egoism. That's why he uses this language of treasure. What do you treasure? What do you treasure today? If somebody was to take a look at your bank account, what would they say you treasure? He wants our hearts and our minds to have this delight and this vision for eternity. But that's very tough in our context. It's very tough in our cultural moment when people have needs, right? It's very tough because our imaginations go to a certain place. I, I, I didn't have to teach our daughters, for instance, to like really cool, expensive things. I didn't have to do it. Just the other day, I, I mentioned last week that we were able to purchase a home, a fixer-upper in Miami. Praise God, right? It's incredible. And just the other night, I was hanging out with my daughter, and I don't know if you do this, like, if you buy a piece of property, and then you want to check out, like, man, has this appreciated already? <laughs> and so I was looking at Realtor.com, and I was like, man, I wonder how much we could sell this home, even though we just moved in. You know and I'm sorry, Lord. Uh, and, uh, and here's what happens. All of a sudden, my daughter's with me. She's like, oh, Pappy, can you show me one of those really, really expensive houses? Real nice. I was like, what did I do? Like, what's happened to her heart? Why is it drawn to these things? Well, that's, that's, this is the water that we swim in. So it's a challenge to develop a heart for eternity. Because, listen, developing a heart for eternity takes faith. It takes faith. You cannot see heaven right now. You cannot see your future right now. You have to trust in the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life in order to develop a heart for eternity. What does it look like to live differently? We have to develop hearts for eternity. But look, uh, look at what he continues to say. He says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? What an interesting contrast um, here in these couple of chapters. What, what, what does it look like to live different in the kingdom of God? Number two, we have to reorient our ambitions toward the kingdom. Reorient our ambitions toward the kingdom. Where do you see that in the text, Carlos? Let me show you this. In the, part of the, in, 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 in the first part of, of what Jesus is talking about, he gives us a contrast between two things, right? It's two treasures, a treasure on earth and a treasure on heaven. Here, he gives us a contrast between two conditions, and the conditions of a person of light and darkness. And he uses this metaphor of the eye. And maybe you've heard that the eyes are a window to the? Wow, you have. Okay, cool. Uh, so a New Testament scholar says, you know what? Hey, this is a metaphorical use of the eye, that, that this is talking about the inside and the outside condition of a person. So part of what Jesus is really concerned about 
in your life, for your flourishing in the Sermon on the Mount, is that there is a congruence between what you do and who you are. Between what you say and what's actually happening in your heart. Remember, I told you earlier that the reason your treasure matters is because your heart matters to God. Your heart matters to him. John Stott, he was an Englishman. He put this so well. He says, just as a seeing eye gives light to the body, so a noble and single-minded life throws light on everything that we do. Everything. So what is ambition? Ambition has to do with where you fix your eyes. Where, where are you fixing your eyes? Where are, where are your hearts going towards? What are you putting your energy and your might and your hands? What are you working for? When you reorient your ambition toward the kingdom of God, what happens is your life begins to be filled with purpose and with vision and with meaning, this sense of light. There's something powerful happening here. Like all of a sudden, where my heart is going, my ambition is seeking, like Jesus would say, first the kingdom of God and everything else is being affected by it. It's incredible. In fact, the, the word for healthy here, when he, when he says this, when he says that if your eye is healthy, right, that translation of that word can actually mean good or generous. It can mean generous, okay? Jesus is asking that our lives, listen, that they would have this kind of ambition for the kingdom of God. And lives that are like that, they have this generous eye. They have a healthy I, the person who is free from the love of money, always has this like generosity. Have you met these kind of people? People who are generous, they're always looking to bless somebody else. Have you met this person? You could say yes. I'm sorry, there's a lot of people that haven't. In history, Christians have been a witness of generosity. I love this letter from Aristides to the Emperor Hadrian. This is like back in the second century. Look at the witness of Christianity for thousands of years. This is what he writes to this emperor. He says, they love one another. And he who has gives to him who is not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their own homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, this is a new people. And there is something divine in the midst of them. This is what happens when you reorient your ambition toward the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of this world. If you fix your gaze on images of status and power and comfort and security, your ambition is going to lead you to a dark place. But Jesus wants you to fix your gaze on him. He's got some plans and some promises lined up for you in this very text. He wants us to reorient our ambition. He wants us to have a different kind of culture. Amen? I love what Andy Crouch says. He's, he's this scholar that writes on a bunch of things in technology. He, it's, he says, to become a radical culture in the United States is actually quite easy. To become like these people that live different here in Miami with your neighbors, it's actually quite easy. He says this, all you have to do is give 10% of what you make and turn the TV off. 
Wild, right? Here's the thing. The enemy, you have a spiritual enemy, by the way. His name is, is Satan. Since the Garden of Eden, it says in the scriptures. Uh, man, he, he's always been tempting people to tell, essentially to, to paint this image of God where he's always holding out on you so that you don't trust in him. And since that garden, Jesus has been relentlessly pursuing us, showing us his generosity, showing us his plan for our lives, guiding us so that we could be enamored with the vision that he has for our lives, not the vision that the enemy has for you. How do we live different in terms of money? We reorient our ambitions toward God. And then number three, um, what's Jesus talking about in this text? He says, you need to see money as a tool and not an idol. You need to see money as a tool and not an idol. Look at what he says. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I want you to receive that this morning. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus doesn't share his throne. Part of the question that this text is asking of you and for me is who's on the throne of your hearts? Who are you really serving? You cannot serve God with a divided heart. It's either one or the other. And I want you to know this. I want you to geek out with me for a little bit here because I think it's really important. Um, the New Testament, most of it has been written in Greek, right? Um, Koine Greek. And Matthew chapter 6 is written in Greek with the exception of this one word, and it's the word money. Uh, it's actually um, in Aramaic, or it's a transliteration of an Aramaic word uh, by the name of mammon. Okay, everybody say mammon. All right, you got to be careful with that in Miami because mammon is a fruit, okay? Mammon is something different, okay? You cannot serve both God and mammon, not mammon. No, no. <laughs> Mammon, <laughs> gosh, uh, mammon in the ancient world, this is serious, okay, this is serious, in the, mammon in the ancient world was known as the god of wealth. It's as if though Matthew is using this literary tool to help us realize the power of the pursuit of wealth, that God identifies money as something extremely powerful in our hearts to such an extent that he equates it as a little g God. Doug Jones, he's a scholar, he says this about God uh, uh, and mammon. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Jesus didn't deny that money was a God, that God even has a name, mammon. Jesus affirmed mammon as the sole serious competitor to the Trinity. Jesus understood the antithesis or contrast between God's way and mammon's way as the most fundamental distinction in all of life and history. Money is like the most godlike thing on earth. Do you know that? It makes a lot of the same promises that Jesus actually makes to you. Money promises things, money says things like, I can heal you. Not directly, but it's like, you know what? Uh, we're going to fly a chopper and take you to Mayo Clinic. If you have money, I can heal you. I can provide for you. 
I can give you a better status. I can make you comfortable. I can give you an inheritance. I can give you power. Do you see how, how strong this is in our hearts? This is what money promises to you and to me. It's a, it's a compelling story that shapes like our entire generation in such a way that it leads us far away and very deceptively away from the kingdom of God. So it's a story that really needs to be reimagined in our hearts. Money is just a tool. It should not be our idol. This is a question at the end of the day about worship. It's a question about what do we, what is worth more in our lives? This God that promises us all of these things or Jesus? And how do you, how do you know money is your master? I want you to think about the story, right? The story of mammon. The story of money. This is, this is the story uh, of mammon. This is not original to me. There's a pastor in New York who wrote this. It's fantastic. Look at this. Why are we here? We're here for pleasure. We're here for pleasure. That's the purpose of life. The purpose is, man, we're going to go out to really cool restaurants and eat and have an incredible time and share life with friends. And that's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a half of a vision of the kingdom of God. What, what's the problem with humanity? What's gone wrong? Lack. We don't have enough resources. What's going to fix this? More. More money. How will it look like when it's fixed? Luxury, success, abundance without God. Have you bought into the story? Is this how you're living your life? Because, because if it is, God says that you're worshiping other than him. You're worshiping money. You're depending on wealth. If what you spend your time on is just pursuing these great dining options in Miami and what you worry about is primarily like your real estate and your finances, but you, you never pray, you never give generously, you don't live in the way of Jesus, then money may be your master. Ask yourself a question this morning. Listen, I, I really believe that this has the power to transform our lives, our hearts, this church, this city, ask yourself these questions. Do you have any margin in your life? Right? 80% 80, 80 of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And I'm not talking about just Americans who uh, have wages below uh, poverty. 80% of people live paycheck to paycheck. Because certain people want to keep a, want to maintain a certain high standard. Millennial, the average millennial debt is 52K. Which means when people get married the average debt of a family is $104,000. Are all of the convos you have with yourself about money, all these conversations, is the biggest sense of frustration in your life about money? Is it the biggest area of conflict with your spouse? Is it the one thing you use to compare yourself to other people? Depending on how you answer these questions, that maybe you have an issue this morning with money. But look at how different the story of the kingdom is and the way of Jesus. He says this, right? Why are we here? Why are we here? The answer is God. We're here for God. What's gone wrong? It's sin. It's disordered loves. It's this disordered desires. There's things that we have done. There's a fundamental brokenness about the human heart that Jesus came to fix. What's going to fix things? Who is? Jesus. And how will it look like when everything is fixed? He's going to restore everything. 
He's going to wipe away every tear from your eye. Every need, everything that you have lacked, he will fulfill to the uttermost. That's the difference of the story of the kingdom. Here's what Jesus shows you in the gospel. Maybe you've heard that term before. It means the good news. The good news of Jesus is this. He came and he left this immeasurable treasure in heaven to die on a cross for his treasured possession. You. Jesus treasures you and he dies for you to purchase you. So that you can have that relationship with him and he can become your treasure. So that you can have this everlasting relationship with the father. I love what this one scholar says. He says, anything you make a supreme value will say to you, die for me. But if you make Jesus Christ your supreme value, he's the one who says, I've died for you. Only if you treasure him will you be free from this love or money. At the end of the day, when you look at this text, what's it all about? Why does Jesus care about it so much? It's because what you treasure reveals something about your heart, and Jesus cares about your heart. Whoever sits on the throne of your heart is going to determine your destiny. Whoever sits there will determine the future of your life. Who are you trusting in today? What's the vision that you have for your life? Do you have a vision for eternity or do you just have a vision for now? Are you just living for things here? Jesus wants to change that in you um, today. I want to um, share this with you. Do you. Does anybody know here, and you can raise your hands, who uh, Humphrey Monmouth is? Anybody? You probably have never heard of him, right? He's kind of obscure. Uh, oh, one person. Okay, praise God. Cool. Uh, anybody know uh, who William Tyndale is? William Tyndale? Yeah, Tyndale. Uh, Tyndale was uh, a famous person. He's the first person to translate the Bible into English from the Latin Vulgate. And he did it while this was an illegal practice. And what he knew is that this was going to be incredibly expensive. It was going to take years to translate it into English. And so here's what Humphrey Monmouth did. He was a very good friend of Tyndale's. And he said, you know what? If you take on that spiritual burden, I'm going to take on the financial burden. And so here's what he did. He paid his salary. He had a vision of what it would mean in eternity. He, he had this orientation and this ambition, right, toward things that mattered in the end. Not only did he pay his salary, he invited him to stay with him in hiding. By the way, Monmouth was, actually, was also uh, this... Um, like he owned a bunch of ships. So you know what he did? He used the ships to smuggle the Bible so that people could actually read it in their original language. He was concerned with storing of treasure in heaven, even though he was wealthy on earth. Do you see what this looks like in your life? As a church, you know what? It, we actually do both of these things, right? We say, you know what? We have a spiritual burden and we're also going to bear a financial burden. When we step out in God's mission, there are people that come around us. And we say, God, you know what? I'm going to follow you. And I don't know what that looks like in my life. But then you know what he'll do? He'll bring other people in his kingdom who will say, I'm going to share in that financial burden. You're going to take this on spiritually. I'm going to share in that financially. We have a team here today. And I know Jesus really, Jesus really likes it when you give in secret. Okay, But I know. 
that there's churches that give, okay, to us. And I want to honor them today because there's a church here today, Grace Church of Boston. They're sitting here in the second row. Um, and I want you to honor them because they've invested in us big time in order for us uh, to be able to have this man. And, and, and listen, it's, it's humbling. It's humbling because essentially um, what we said was we're going we're gonna to take on the spiritual goal and the spiritual burden of starting a church in Miami. And God somehow, he brought other people alongside me and said, we're going to share in that financial burden. And we're going to do that because our hearts are oriented toward heaven. Because we care about our treasure and where that treasure goes. Where are you today? What are you treasuring? Is your life, are you obsessed with the things of this world? Or do you have a desire to treasure what Jesus treasures? Because he wants that for you. He wants that for you, not just because he wants your money, but because he cares about your heart. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, I, this morning, Lord Father, I pray that you would help us to see, God, that you would help us to see the idols in our hearts, Lord. Father, for, for those of us who maybe don't have a vision of eternity, God, I pray today that you would give us a desire to store up treasure in heaven, to invest in the things that have eternal consequences, Lord. Please, Father. For those of us who today, we need to turn away from like being greedy, Lord. We've been trying to manage loving you and loving money. I pray today you would give us a single-handed focus on you and on your kingdom, God. I pray that you would raise up men and women who would have an ambition for you, God. I pray, Father, for those who have had that ambition, but maybe at some point they stopped trusting you. Maybe they were hurt uh, by a ministry or a church or they didn't trust somebody and now they're not generous because of what's happened in the past. I pray today they would restore, uh, you would restore their trust in you. I pray that you would lead us to be a generous people, God. I pray for those who are here who've never given to you, God, who've never given uh, to the poor or to the church. I pray today, Lord, you would help us to take a next step in trusting you with our finances, Lord Father. We declare today that you are Lord. God, would you please make us into a people who look like you, who are not attached to the things of this world, but rather who are free and joyful and full of light because we treasure what you treasure, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Here's what I want us to do, and I want to tell you something. When you, when you start a church, you dream of doing certain things, uh, but sometimes those things take like a year or two, okay? And I want us to do this uh, today. What I, what I want us to read before we sing this next song is something called a generosity liturgy, okay? And uh, that word liturgy, if, if you've ever heard that word liturgy, it means the work of the people. The word liturgy means work of the people. Everybody say work of the people. And so when you think about a liturgy, it's like what we're doing as a church to worship God, to worship God. And I've been wanting to do this liturgy over and over to help us form our hearts, especially in the area of money. 
right? And we're always going to talk about that at some point in reality, right? Power, money, and sex. Things that form our hearts in a particular way. And so I'm going to read this out loud. And I want us to read it together. If you believe in this, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is something that I want to do often at our church before we give or at some point in, 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 in our services. So I want to invite you to, if you're able to, why don't you uh, stand up for a moment. I'm going to read this out loud, and then I want us to read it together. Okay? And this is something that I want us to do often so that it could shape our hearts and our imagination toward the things that God wants. Look at this. Holy Father, there's nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstand the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all the world. Amen. If you believe that, I want you to repeat it out loud with me and let that form your heart and your desire this morning. Let's read it together. Holy Father, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstand the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there's no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you're like to all the world. Amen. Amen. Let's